Good morning. I'm Ashley Crowley. Please stand for the reading of the word. We will be reading from Luke 2, verses 4 through 11. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So uh, thank you, Ashley, for reading that. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been lighting these candles. We actually moved it down here onto the floor today. Um, but uh, anybody grow up kind of doing the Advent thing, the Advent wreath, Advent candles? Okay, a few of y'all. Um, I didn't really grow up doing it, and I think it's a, a cool opportunity for us as a church to sort of be doing this together. But the first week, um, we light the the very first candle, the hope candle. It's the, the prophet candle that um, kind of speaks about the prophets in the Old Testament giving us this hope that this light of the world is going to come. Last week, Pastor Trey came and he preached about love. And um, that's really, it's called the Bethlehem candle um, as we look at the love of God that he has for us in giving us um, his son. And then this week, the third week, is this kind of rose-colored candle right here. And this is the, the shepherd's candle. And it's about joy. Today we're talking about joy. And then next week on Christmas Eve, we'll actually light two more candles, the peace candle, um, which is the angel candle, and then that middle white candle. If you guys can guess what candle that is, that is the Christ candle. That's all about Jesus, right? Which is all about Jesus. But um, it's just, it's cool for us to be able to just kind of look here and just remember, you know, what these things teach us and symbolize for us, the, the hope and the love and the joy and the peace that we have in this advent, this coming, this arrival. That's what advent means, right? This arrival of Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah, the savior of the world. And so today it's really all about joy. And here's what I want to do. Um, I want to read for you several little snippets of stories from the gospel. And it's, it's mostly the Christmas stories that you guys know about the wise men and about the shepherds and the angels and all, and Mary and um, all these kind of things. So if you guys will just hang out with me and follow along with me here in the Bible. Actually, I want to start in 1 John. So open your Bibles up with me to 1 John, and then you can kind of keep that one bookmark. And then we're going to go to Luke. We're going to go to Luke uh, chapter 1 after that. Um, so let's start in 1 John, though. Here's what, here's what the Apostle John writes many, many years later. Um, this is uh, decades after the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that John spent three years of his life doing ministry alongside this man. Right? And then he's writing this letter to kind of encourage the Christians and remind them of, of who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished for us and the teachings that he gave to us. And he starts off his letter this way, 1 John chapter 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. He's talking about Jesus, right? I saw him. I looked at him, right? Which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Verse four, 
we write this to make our joy complete. Why is John writing this letter? To complete the joy that he has experienced in knowing Jesus. He wants others to know it and to see it, right? Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm going to talk about that again here at the end, just giving the joy that we have received. So let's go to Luke chapter one. And I want to look at a few of these Christmas stories. And really what I want us to see today is joy. I want us to see the joy that came through the advent of Jesus. When Jesus arrived, when he was born and all the events that kind of surrounded that time, um, in every one of these stories, we're going to see joy happen. Okay, and I want, to, I want us all to just be encouraged today that that is exactly what happens in us and to us when we come to know Jesus and see Jesus through who he is, that we experience a joy that only he can provide. Okay, so let's look at Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 39, Luke 1, 39. This is about uh, John the Baptist. Okay, so if you know a little bit of that story, um, Elizabeth is the, the cousin of Mary, Elizabeth and Mary. They both get pregnant. Elizabeth gets pregnant about six months earlier, and she's pregnant with John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Jesus. Okay, uh, so he would be the one who in his earthly ministry would kind of point people towards the coming Messiah. All right, and so... As we look at Luke chapter one, we actually see this kind of this first little moment that John the Baptist and Jesus meet each other and neither of them are even born yet when this happens, which is super cool. Luke 139 says, at this time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, talking to Mary, right? And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, first person to ever call Jesus Lord on earth, the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. What a, what a picture, right? The first time John the Baptist meets Jesus. And Jesus is maybe the size of a grain of rice at that time. And uh, John the Baptist, you know how they do that, like when they're telling ladies how big your baby is, like, he's a granary, he's a lima bean right now. And, uh, you know, Mary's was a, I don't know what, a squash or something, or Elizabeth was like a squash. John the Baptist, and he's in there, and he, he leaps for joy, right? What an amazing thing. Um, look, look a little bit further down. So verse 46, here's, here's what Mary says. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. Listen to the joy of Mary. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So then Mary just sings. She breaks into song. Why do we sing? Because of joy, right? Like she's just feeling this joy that inside of her, growing inside of her is the Messiah, the savior of the world. And Elizabeth recognizes it. John the Baptist recognizes it inside of his mom. And now Mary, she's just so overcome with this gladness and this hope and this joy. Look a few more verses down, verse 67, still in Luke 1. This is Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And he sings this song after John is born. It says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. 
He has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. As he said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our Days And so Zechariah, after his son is born, and he knows this is going to be the prophet who leads the way towards the Messiah, Jesus, who's about to be born. He's just so overcome, just remembering the promises of God, just so happy and joyful that God has done this and he's doing this. He's working this salvation out for his people. Look at Luke 2, 12 through 20. And Ashley read the, the beginning of this story, and I want to finish it. It says, this will be a sign to you as the angels are talking to the shepherds, right? This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. We're going to talk about peace next week. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what, what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, listen, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. All right, let's flip over to Matthew. So a couple books before Luke there. Flip over to Matthew, two books back. Let's look at the wise men. Y'all know the story of the wise men. The wise men actually happened a little bit later. Jesus has already been born. Um, he may be one or two years old even at this time. We're not really sure when they showed up exactly. Um, he's, a, he's a small child, but they kind of show up at Joseph and Mary's house. Okay, why, uh, the wise men here in Matthew 2, starting in verse 9. It says, after they heard the king... At, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were what? Overjoyed. They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So again, we just see these, these men from a faraway land, these probably these Persian astrologers is who they were, uh, sort of magicians, almost scientists of the day. Um, and they had seen this star, they followed it, they get to Jerusalem, they ask Herod about that, they kind of figure out he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And, and you know, it had happened at some point, and so they keep following the star. And when they see that the star kind of rests over Bethlehem in this place, this house, I don't know how that exactly looked, the star like pointing at the house or whatever it was, and they knew that's where he was. And what did it say that they, they were? They were overjoyed. They rejoiced with joy exceedingly. That's the technical Greek where Matthew wrote that. They rejoiced with joy exceedingly. You know, like they just couldn't help themselves about how much joy they felt. Go back to Luke. Well, a couple more stories in Luke. Um, and these are a little bit less known stories, but Luke 2, 25, we see this person named Simeon. Simeon had been told that he would not die before he saw the consolation of Israel. The, the one who would come to redeem Israel. So look at Luke 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. 
He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the, what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms. You ever like, moms, you ever like walk around and somebody just takes your baby from you? <laughs> I don't know if that was normal back then, but Simeon's like so happy. He's just like, give me that baby. You know, he takes the child in his arms and he says, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you, as, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. He's saying, I can die now. Like that's what he's saying. Dismiss me in peace. I'm good. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. And then skip down. Look at Luke, uh, Luke 2, 36. There's a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So again, this, this prophetess, this woman who had been serving at the temple all her life came up and she saw that this child was here. And well, maybe she heard Simeon talking about him and heard them kind of telling about who this child was. And she just wants to see him and she sees him and she praises God. And then she tells everybody about that, this joy, this joy. And so I just want to talk about kind of four keys to joy that we find in Jesus. And I think the Christmas story gives us kind of these, these four simple little uh, things that we can look at about like what joy is, what joy means for us and how we receive that in Jesus. And you guys know what joy is, right? The difference between joy and happiness, where happiness is circumstantial, right? Happiness is just based on like good or bad things happen to you every day. And sometimes you feel happy, sometimes you don't. But joy is this underlying current of gladness and hopefulness that happens outside of circumstance and outside of our feelings about those things, right? So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about joy. So kind of what do all these stories have in common? That's what I want to ask this morning. What do all these stories of joy have in common? Here's four keys. Number one is this, the presence of Jesus. Of course, right? Why were they all joyful? Why were they all hopeful? Why were they all so glad? Because Jesus had come. The advent of Christ had been given to God's people just as he promised. Uh, you don't have to flip to these, but um, I just wanted to read a couple of verses for you. Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In Isaiah 7, 14, um, a couple of the famous prophecies about the Christ coming was in Isaiah 7 and in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 7, 14 says this. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Matthew comments on that when Jesus is born and tells us what Emmanuel means. You guys know what does Emmanuel mean? God with us, the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. That is the foundational bedrock source of our joy, of their joy. Every one of those people, when they rejoiced in the Lord, it was because he had come, his presence was there. Israel had been waiting hundreds of years for the coming of their Messiah. Some of them still didn't believe it, even unto Jesus's death. And even after his resurrection, they still didn't believe it. But those who did, who saw Jesus and understood who he was, 
What did it cause in them? Joy, gladness in their heart that they knew that God had done what he said he was going to do. Um, I saw recently a little snippet of an interview that, um, I don't remember who it was, did with uh, Oprah. So there's a little snippet of an interview with Oprah and they were talking about happiness. To my happiness, and Oprah was kind of giving her Oprah wisdom about happiness, um, and she said this: "She said it's up to you to be the master of your happiness." No, Oprah, no, it ain't. And look, if you're gonna like tweet something from Pastor Kurt today, just tweet no Oprah, no context, just no Oprah. That's all anybody needs to know um, from today's message. But it's not. It's not true. That's horrible advice. That is the advice of the world telling you to do this. That if you want to be happy, you want to have long-term happiness in your life, joy in your life. Where do you need to look? You need to look in. You need to look into you. You need to figure out what's going on in here. And if you look deep enough into yourself, that eventually somewhere in there you'll find the source of your happiness and your joy. And it's not true. You know why? Because you and I, y'all, we're fickle creatures. Like you and I, we just know this about ourselves. Can we be honest? I am and you are too. We know this. We're weak, not always strong. We're foolish, not always wise. We don't always get it right. We don't always do things right. I had to button this shirt twice this morning because I did it wrong, right? Sometimes we're just dumb. And if we navel gaze, looking into ourselves, trying to find a source of happiness and joy, we're going to be, I promise you, let down. You're going to be let down and I'm going to be let down. Joy has nothing to do with us turning ourselves to look in. It's all about looking up. It's all, and in fact, in the New Testament, as the writers who write the New Testament, they, they use the words joy and they use the word grace. And both of those words in Greek come from the same root word. It's kara, uh, karos, which is really, it's usually translated grace, but joy and rejoicing, it comes from that same root because really the technical definition from the Greek that you could get for the word joy would be a recognition of grace that causes internal gladness. And that's exactly what's going on in all of these stories. They recognize that there's a grace that has come, a grace that is outside of themselves. You get that? It has nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with my feelings or nothing to do with what I could muster up in myself. Completely external, completely outside of me. Because listen, if your happiness is just all about what's going on in here, you and I both know, man, that's a roller coaster. But if your joy rests in one outside of you, that's a foundation that we can stand on. It was the presence of Jesus. It was somebody else coming to give joy. Number two, keys to joy, the fulfillment of hope, the fulfillment of hope. So it was the presence of Jesus, but it was also the fulfillment of hope. Um, if you want to turn back to Isaiah, Isaiah nine, again, this is one of those kind of famous passages about the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter nine, verses uh, six and seven, it says this, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 600 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah was telling us, this is what's coming 
a virgin will give birth. They will call him Emmanuel and the government will rest on his shoulders. His throne will be established forever. He will be mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. He will be the hope of Israel and the hope of the world to all who come to him. And this is what's fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. This is what they saw. And this is why the, the wise men, and this is why Zechariah, and this is why Mary, and this is why Elizabeth, this is why John the Baptist, this is why they all rejoiced. They all rejoiced because the hope that they had been waiting for had been fulfilled. What are you hoping for? That's a good question to ask yourself often in life. Like, what are things that you're expecting? What are things that you're hoping for? Listen, our, our wishful thinking, which is usually how we think of hope, right? It's wishful thinking. Wishful thinking, y'all, it, it happens sometimes. It doesn't happen sometimes. But hope does not disappoint us. True hope, biblical hope, it's a rested, sure confidence that what God has said he's going to do, he does. And he did. And he's continuing to do. We have hope in that. We trust, and that's Christian hope. And when that hope is fulfilled, guys, does that not produce joy in you? To know God's not a liar, that he's true, he's faithful always. Number three, the keys to our joy. Number three is the humility of the recipient. Y'all, pride, listen, pride is the enemy of joy for us. Where we think that we're more than we really are, when we kind of get this, these puffed up heads and hearts about our own status, our own selves, which again, this is why we cannot look in because the more we look in, the more we lose focus on the one who's truly good, truly right, truly powerful, truly awesome. And we start looking at ourselves and start to think that that's us. And then when we do fall, we do mess up, we do lose, we do fail, then we get all stressed out, we get all depressed, we get all anxious about that because we start to realize that the thing we were hoping in just keeps letting us down. And again, he's why he just wants us to look up, look to him. He doesn't fail. So we need that humility, right? Think about Mary, the humble, young virgin who has no business being the mother of the Savior, an utterly unknown nobody. You ever feel that way? Sometimes we feel that way. Like you're just unknown. Nobody knows you. Nobody sees you. She rejoiced and she sang that song. What did she say? God, you've been mindful of me. You saw me. How did you see me? I'm nobody. Man, when we realize God's love for us and his care for us, when we have the humility to see that, that gives us joy. Zechariah, Zechariah was doubtful. He was told John the Baptist was going to be his son, yet his wife was very old and she was barren and he doubted God. You ever, you ever doubtful? You ever struggle with what you believe? Anna too, the, the prophetess, she'd been waiting for years. She was 84. She hadn't seen what she was hoping for. Or Simeon, the guy who knew the consolation of Israel was going to come and he was just wondering like, when's this going to happen? How's this going to happen? I don't know if I'm ever going to get to see this. And then he sees it. Because, man, on those moments that we realize, God, I don't deserve anything from you, but you've allowed me to see Jesus. You've allowed me to know Jesus. You've given me Jesus. That should, I hope, give us joy. Think about the wise men, those, those Gentiles, those pagan magicians and sign readers. Anybody in here not a churchy person? 
Like you didn't really grow up in church. You're not one of the church kids. Some of us are like you grew up. I, I was kind of born into church. Like I've been in church my whole life, but some aren't like you came in later. And sometimes it can be kind of hard to, to, you know, for, for in the church world, certain people maybe feel like, no, I don't fit in. Maybe I'm, I came into this later. I don't understand. They're talking about Zechariah. I never heard that name before. Like, I don't even know where these stories are. Maybe, maybe that's happening for some of you right now. Listen, these wise men, these magi, these were not Jewish people. These were not the church kids. These were people outside of the covenant people of Israel that God invited into the story. Do you see that? How humbling that must have been to show up and just go, we have no business being here, but God by his grace has brought us in. And y'all, that's a picture of the church. By the way, none of us have a business being here. And God has brought us in and shown us the goodness of his own mercy and grace by the giving, us of, giving to us of his son. And if we would just receive that with humility. And again, John the Baptist, I mean, that's maybe the best illustration. If a fetus can rejoice, you and I can rejoice in Jesus. Humility, y'all, humility receives. You get that? Like pride, pride wants to believe that it needs nothing. Humility knows it's needy. And if you're a humble person, if you would submit yourself under the hand of God and just know, I don't deserve anything from him. When you see the gift that he's given you in Jesus, it will make your heart rejoice in that gift. 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. The promises of God, yes, in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to uh, by us to the glory of God. You know, amen means, it means kind of like yes. It means uh, let it be, right? That's amen. It's just Paul's way of saying, look, in Jesus, every promise of God has been fulfilled. Man, and so as we think about with humility ourselves, sometimes we can almost get downcast thinking, man, I don't deserve it. I'm unworthy. I'm, I, I shouldn't be able to have the joy of the Lord. But then we're able to look back into the promises that God has made to us and see that in Christ, the birth of this savior, all of the promises God has made to all his people are true in him. And that's where in our humility, we're able to receive that, right? We're able to receive that God has made me promises and they're absolutely true. Uh, just some encouragement I would give you is this, like if right now, just in life, you find yourself in a, a non-joyful place, place of maybe darkness or fear or doubt for, for whatever reason, whatever difficulties you've been going through, um, my encouragement to you would be, man, go to the promises of God in the Bible. Um, I actually brought a little book with me. This little book is called Precious Bible Promises. Um, you can buy this on Amazon by Samuel Clark. It's a very old book, Precious Bible Promises. This book is full, chock full of just scriptures and they're all promises. There are, there are thousands of promises made to us in the Bible. Promises like Zephaniah 3.17, that God has come to save you and he rejoices over you with singing. You know, that's a promise in the Bible, that God rejoices over you. Romans 8.38 and 39, that nothing can separate us from God's love. That's a promise. 1 John 4, 10, that in his love, he has given us his own son to atone for our sins. That's a promise of God. Psalm 30, verse 5, that he is a shield and a refuge to you. That's a promise. Isaiah 41, 10, that he is with you to strengthen you and uphold you by his righteous right hand. That is a promise. 
First Peter 5, 7, that you can cast your anxiety on God. Anybody today? You can cast your anxiety on him, Peter says, because he cares for you. It's a promise of God. Guys, if you're just struggling to feel joy in the Lord, go to his promises and see that if you have faith in Jesus, you're walking with him. Every promise he has made us, 2 Corinthians 1.20, is yes and amen in Jesus. Every promise is yours, belongs to you. And the fourth thing, four keys to joy. Number four, the showing and the sharing of joy. The showing and the sharing of joy. What do we see in all those stories? Every one of the stories that we read about the shepherds and Simeon and Zechariah and Mary and all, all of those stories, what was going on? Did those people, those men and women who experienced that joy in Jesus, did they just internally experience it in their hearts and then do nothing with it? Yes or no? No. What did they do? They experienced it. They felt it. They knew it was there. And then they did what? They exploded with joy. They rejoiced. That's the next step of joy. Y'all get that? We get joy. We feel joy. We receive joy. And then what do we do? We rejoice. We sing with joy. There's joy in the house of the Lord. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise, right? Imagine this. You know this is true because think about this. What if you experienced some kind of joy in your life? Something that you really enjoy doing and you couldn't share it. You couldn't express it. What if, okay, um, uh, college football fans. What if you were at a college football game? If you're a Georgia fan, whoever, whatever fan you are, you're at a game, you're watching your team, they're, they're, they're kicking butt, they're doing awesome, they're doing great, whatever. What if they told you when you went into the stadium, listen, you can feel all the happiness and joy you want to feel. You cannot cheer. You have to sit on your hands. You can't open your mouth. Would you enjoy that game as much as if you can cheer? Would you? No, I don't think you would. Even though the joy might be real inside of you because it's happening and it's good, if you can't express it, you know, you know there's something wrong with that. If you can't express what you feel, what you know to be true, what you know to be right. And I believe God created us that way. Joy is made evident and actually given full expression in what? Rejoicing. That the wise men, when they saw the star and it stopped, they rejoiced exceedingly. That Mary couldn't help but sing. That Zechariah couldn't help but sing. That John the Baptist couldn't help but jump for joy in his mama. Right? Because when we feel the joy that we have in Jesus, the most natural thing in the world for us is to not just feel joy, but to rejoice in the Lord. And then, back to 1 John, because this is, the first thing that I read to you guys, verse four, he said, we write this to make our joy complete. So not just to show it from your own self, but to share it. John was writing this letter so that he could share the joy that he had. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Joy is complete when it is shown and it is shared. Listen, when something truly satisfies your soul, when something truly makes you glad, that joy in you, listen, it's not done. It's not fulfilled. It's not perfected. It's not complete until you have expressed it and then shared it with somebody else. You know that's true too, right? You ever bake a really good cake and you have to eat it all by yourself? It's not as good. 
You ever watch a great movie and you watch it all alone? It's not as good. Like we want to share experiences. We want to share our joy. Why don't we do that with the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That he really has come. That he really was born. And we know the rest of the story. That he grew in perfection and holiness as a man and as fully God. The God-man who lived his life in perfection, ministered and did miracles and, and, and raised the dead and taught all the things that he taught about righteousness and holiness. And then he went to the cross to die for your unrighteousness, your unholiness. And he died for our sins. He rose again on the third day. We have that joy. The Christmas story gives us so much joy because we know the rest of it, right? Man, that is what we are called to share. That is what the angel was talking about. I come to bring you good news of great what? Joy. It's joy, shepherds. Go see it. And they did. And then what did they do? They went and shared it. They told everybody. And they were glorifying God and praising him. Listen, if you're struggling with joy, um, maybe one challenge for you this week would just be express it when you feel it in the Lord and share it. I promise you that joy will grow. It'll intensify as we share that joy. The completion and the perfection of our joy is when it is expressed and shared with someone else. Um, so right now, y'all, we're gonna, we're gonna sing. I hope this is a time when you can express your joy in the Lord. Um, we're gonna sing and praise God for what he's done, for who he is. Maybe joy looks like for you right now, standing and singing with all your might. And I'm not saying you gotta raise hands, but man, just to let your heart express out of your words what you feel and know about Jesus. Maybe joy for you right now just looks like you wanna sit and pray and say thank you to God. Listen, maybe you're struggling with joy this morning. Um, I'll be down here. If you're on the prayer team and you want to come down to pray for anybody, please do that. Um, we'd love to invite you. If you just want somebody to pray for you, hey, I, I need joy. I want to experience the joy of the Lord. Please come down. I'd love to pray with you about that. Because we all need prayer sometimes about, man, I just need the joy of the Lord. And I'll tell you this, that begins with, and you come to him in faith. Trust him as your Lord and Savior. And he'll give you the joy. So, Let's do that. I just want you right now to feel free to express the joy that God has given you in Christ Jesus. Um, the same thing that those, those angels proclaimed that night, the good news of great joy. It's come, it's fulfilled in the advent of Christ. God, lead us right now. Lead us right in this moment, God, to um, express our joy to you, our joy in you, our joy in Jesus that is so outside of ourselves, so separate from our feelings and our circumstances and yet transforms those feelings, transforms those circumstances to come into alignment with your will and your good pleasure. God, as we just look to you right now and trust all the promises you have made us in Jesus are yes and amen. And we stand on that. Thank you. Thank you for the good news of great joy in Jesus' name. Amen.